Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent, here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. And if you would like to support us financially, we'd uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, but if you feel inclined to do so, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theparticularbaptist and uh, either... You can put, do a custom amount, or you can sign up for one of the three tiers that we have there to receive uh, some benefits for that. Um, but today we're going to be talking about Christian liberty. You know, we've been out for a couple weeks. We had a wedding. Uh, my sister got married, and so we've been running around crazy. So we're finally back in the saddle, but we're, we wanted to pick kind of a, um, I guess, a less complicated topic this week. Um, but this is nonetheless a very relevant topic and one that continues to be um, debated and controversial even uh, even today among Christians. Uh, Christian liberty and what is the extent of that? What does that look like? Um, what does it mean that there's the weaker brother and the stronger brother? And what is the relationship between the two? I think that Christians will fall in different areas in these uh, respects um, because everybody seems to have their own idea of what this means. But um, you know, you have kind of the antinomians, you have the legalists, kind of those are kind of the two polar opposites that you'll find, um, you know, in these discussions. Um, our goal is to stick with what scripture says and hopefully end up somewhere in the middle um, that finds a balance between those two positions that we don't fall into antinomianism, which is, you know, to fall into being against the law of God. We don't believe that uh, you should just be able to do whatever you want, but we also don't want to fall into legalism where we're imposing um, our freedom or, or our personal views upon uh, others where God has left them free. So I think we do have somewhat of a framework that we can use here from Scripture um, in a couple key places that helps us to understand what these things are. So first of all, I'm going to jump into our confession. We're going to talk about what Christian liberty is not. <clears throat> so our uh, the Second London Baptist Confession, chapter 21, paragraph 3 on of Christian uh, liberty, says, They who upon pretense of Christian liberty do practice any sin or cherish any sinful lust, as they do thereby pervert the main design of the grace of the gospel to their own destruction. So they wholly destroy the end of Christian liberty, which is that being delivered out of the hands of all our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear. <clears throat> in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Um, so, you know, Christian liberty is seemingly opening up a can of worms, you know, on the surface. You say, I'm free as a Christian. It might imply that we have the ability to do whatever we want to do. You know, I'm free. I don't have to, I don't have to hold to these restrictions anymore, whatever the case might be. And we're saying, no, in the Christian tradition, the Orthodox Christian tradition has said, no, we don't do that. And we uh, see very clearly from Scripture that's the case as well. It doesn't mean that we can live however we want or cherish any sin or use it as an excuse to sin because I'm no longer under um, whatever the bounds were before. We do know we do have Christian liberty. Um, Galatians 5.1, in talking, the context is talking about the Judaizers and circumcision and how that relates to justification, we are free from the restrictions under the old covenant law, and we're free from uh, any restrictions as it relates to um, 
you know, a false gospel. We, we're not bound to those extra things. Uh, we see Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we have to be, you know, in the context of the Galatians, the Judaizers were trying to push the law of Moses, at, at the very least with circumcision, upon the people of God there, and saying that, yeah, you can believe in Christ, but you also need circumcision in order to, to um, be saved. And Paul is saying, no, we have this liberty in Christ. We're, we're free in as much as we're believing in him and we're obeying him and we believe in the gospel. We are free and we do not have to submit to that bondage. And we shouldn't, actually. It's wrong to do that. He's saying to stand firm in the freedom that you have. Um, so you know, we have to be really careful as we're understanding what Christian liberty is not. Um, it is not a one. It is not the freedom to sin and cherish any sin. To cherish sin would be to twist what Christian liberty really is. And really to use, you're trying to use the scriptures as an excuse for your own wickedness. I, I can't think of many things that are uh, more blasphemous and wicked than doing that, to try and use something holy for evil purposes. Um so I, th I think that goes without saying, but there are people out there who will do that. And that's where you would find the antinomian crown. Those who, you know, kind of, they try to say, you know, the common phrase that we're, we're not under law, but under grace. We, we don't have to obey those restrictions anymore. We're, we're under grace. We're free to do as we please. And it doesn't matter. And that's where we have to be very careful. We even see Paul addressing this to some extent, like in Romans chapter six where we're no longer slaves of sin, but we're slaves of righteousness. And because of that, we, there is a binding there to some extent where we are bound to obey the law of God. We're bound to do what God tells us to do. Um, and if you don't live that way, then it gives evidence that you really aren't his. You are a slave to sin. Um, so it's Christian liberty is, has to be qualified based on the other places in Scripture that talk about bondage to something. We are slaves of Christ. We are slaves of righteousness, but we are not bound to the laws and commandments of men. Um, so we have to be very careful in defining what these things are in order to understand what Christian liberty is and its correct application. Yeah, um, I think it is it is very important to to note that we will be um, we will be serving something, right? We will be mm -hmm. servants of something because you will get the the or I could see antinomians being like, well, there's there's liberty, right? So liberty means I can't be a servant of anything, and that's just not correct. We as creatures aren't we're we're not utterly independent, right? We're going to need something to guide us. That's just mm -hmm. in the nature of things, right? Um, but all things considered, would you rather be a servant of that which helps you or that which harms you? Well, you'd right. rather be a servant of that which helps you. And uh, God certainly is, is he who will help us and his laws and his commandments are good, assuming one uses them lawfully. Um, so, yeah. And then I do want to just address, because you get from the, the legalist side, well, if you believe in something like justification by faith and you don't have a concept of works, then you're going to uh, just slide into antinomianism uh, because you're not seeking, uh, you don't need it to be justified, right? But as um, as the confession pointed out, right, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're, we're set free in order to be servants of God, right? If we believe in God, if we have saving faith, 
we're going to want to obey him because he's done us such great things and because mm. what he commands us to do is good. So we are able to maintain that, that middle position, if it's right to speak of it as a middle position, but we're, we're able to avoid the, the two pitfalls there by just looking at God and uh, the goodness of his law. Yeah, it, it is out of thankfulness, and it's just a natural consequence of having the Spirit of God in you. If you, yeah. as Paul talks about in Romans 8, those who have the Spirit of Christ are Christ, and if you have that Spirit, there will be fruit. You know, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you, there will be a natural consequence of working out holiness in that Christian's life. You can't have the Spirit and not have fruit. It's just impossible. So the, the idea of antinomianism, just those people who live that way show that they don't have the spirit of God. That's really all Amen. that's doing. They, they don't have the spirit of God. They don't love things of God because the natural consequence of having the spirit and being in Christ is holiness. That will be your lifestyle. Not perfect, not uh, not sinless perfection. The flesh will still be there, um, but there will be a pattern and a marked life of holiness in that person because this the, the spirit will produce fruit in the Christian. So you're talking about Christian liberty. And again, what it's not I have to be so careful that we do not fall into antinomianism. Um, and I, I think when you study these things, Christian liberty in the scriptures, I think it's pretty obvious what the Bible is talking about. Um, I mean, even even pagans know that the Bible requires some sort of holy living. I don't, I think you have to go beyond um, just mere ignorance in order to fall into an antinomian position. You say you're, I think you really have to the twist the scriptures. I mean, you, you have to do so knowingly because it, I think it's pretty obvious that one, the law of God is written on the hearts of men, Romans two. So we do know that God require in Romans one, we do know that God requires something of man. Uh, and just, you know, culturally, people know, you know the Bible has the Ten Commandments and there's some sort of law there that they have to even just culturally and socially. People know that the Bible requires something. So if you have to if you land on the antinomian position by twisting Christian liberty, you've had to deliberately do so. I don't see any other way to get around that. It is a it is a heinous thing to do that. It's dangerous. Um, because you're you're blaspheming the things of God and you're showing that you don't know him. Um, it'd be better if you were just a pagan who was like, yeah, okay, I just don't like the things of God and I want to do what I want to do instead of trying to make your wicked paganness fit with the scriptures. I, I think that's far worse. Um, all right, so that's, that's kind of an overview of what Christian liberty is not. So what is Christian liberty? And our confession addresses this again. We, we can constantly go back to our confession. It's a very helpful guide on what the scriptures teach. So uh, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 21, paragraph 2. So we're going one paragraph up from the last. God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or not contained in it. So that to believe such doctrines or obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience and the requiring of an implicit faith and absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and uh, liberty of conscience and reason also. So first of all, we have freedom in Jesus Christ. We've alluded to this already. Galatians 5.1. We have freedom 
We're not under the yoke of the old law anymore in Christ. We are free from that. And he has fulfilled those things for us. He's fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the ceremonial aspects of the law. So they are no longer binding on us. Our consciences are not bound to the old covenant law. That's uh, ultimately what Christian freedom is talking about. It's freedom in Jesus Christ. But by extension, by implication, we have uh, the element of Christian liberty as it relates to these I guess you could call, um, I guess a word could be indifferent or amoral things, things that are not good or bad in terms of, as it relates to God's law, things that are good in of themselves, but the, the scriptures don't directly address them or implicitly address them. It's not violating anything implicitly or directly. Um, those types of things, the Bible leaves to the consciences of the believer. The believer is to be the one who makes those personal decisions on what the you know whether they should engage in that particular thing or not? Um, so we have specific biblical warrant in a couple of places for this discussion. First uh, Corinthians chapter eight is a is a famous spot, and then Romans chapter fourteen, and they kind of deal they do deal with the same uh, issue of dealing with Christian liberty and scruples and how that relates to other Christians. Um, but Romans 14, I think, gives a, a much more detailed discussion of this. Um, so we, we have to you know, dive into the text to understand these things. Um, let's see here. So we, we have to be careful, too, that we are you know, submitting to God out of conscience uh, and not to others. You know, we have to make sure that we're not submitting ourselves to others' rules that are not found in Scripture. And actually, our confession says that that is to twist what liberty of conscience really is. So we have to be very careful about those uh, types of things, or we can fall into twisting the Scriptures ourselves, even inadvertently. We might think we're doing something right, but if we submit to another's rule when the Scriptures do not give warrant to do so, uh, then we are, as our confession says, betraying what true liberty of conscience is. You're not really living free at that point. You're being a slave to someone else you shouldn't be when the Lord should be ruling the conscience. And that's really, and our confession here starts with that. God alone is the ruler of the conscience. Um, and so we can't have other men telling us what to do in that respect um out of their own authority they can't come up with their own rules and say well you have to do this this is what god requires no god alone is the lord of the conscience and i must submit to what his word says now if you have the authority to tell me to do x uh and the bible gives warrant for that then sure you should submit to them we were to submit to authorities or submit to our parents and as much as they tell us to uh to do so in line with scripture um, and that is submitting to God in your conscience. But we shouldn't just submit to men blindly just because they tell us to do something God said to do. We should always check it with Scripture. We should obey what the Scriptures say um, because God alone is the Lord of the conscience. Yeah, um, yeah, God alone is the Lord of the conscience and, and man can't bind it. Even uh, if sometimes they're using God's own laws to do it. For example, yeah. we um, we have the, the Judaizers saying you need to be circumcised, and um, and that's that is a commandment of God in the in the old covenant. But mm -hmm. 
they're applying it in such a way that it is it is not correct. Um, and uh, just a quote from Acts fifteen ten here, um, uh, just to, to prove that the ceremonial law actually can be a yoke to us. Um, and this is in the context of having resolved the issue of whether or not you needed to be circumcised to be saved. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Mm. God's law is good, but as fallen man, there's certain things that we, were, we weren't able to bear, right? And that's what uh, Peter's alluding to there. Um, I think it's Peter, maybe it's James. But regardless, uh, whichever apostle it is, um, that uh, they weren't able to bear it. They weren't able to do it. Had they been perfect men, uncorrupted by the fall, then they would have been able to do it joyfully. But uh, as fallen men, we're, we're not able to do it. And we shouldn't put upon people commandments that they're not able to bear um, that God has not commanded. And God did not command in the new covenant context that people be circumcised. So um, even, uh, and that's where you do sort of start getting into trouble because it's a commandment of God. So at least for a portion of uh, history. So you will get people confused or like, well, you're, you're disobeying God by, by not following this. It's like, well, you've got to, you've got to understand when God gives a command or is it, is it always valid or such? Is this positive law? Is it moral law? Just because God gave it as a commandment to someone doesn't mean it's automatically a commandment for us today. Um, yeah, we uh, we're only bound in any obligation um, uh, in so far as it comes from God, and that even um, you might say that well, oh, I should I should honor my parents. I'm going to obey this rule that they've set out. But even that ultimately comes from God because God commands us to to honor our parents. So a parent might put a rule that binds our liberty that isn't specifically enumerated in the law of God, but because we have the general commandment to, um, to honor our parents were to, were to follow that and obey that. Now, if they do do something that does contradict scripture, we're to, we're to push that aside. But, um, as, as a general rule, there are people that are given authority that might put us because of, uh, larger principles might bind our conscience a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, I think that's all for me on that section. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, because we're going to have different authorities like governments and parents who are going to impose practical rules on us that aren't in scripture directly or indirectly, but we are still to obey them. And that's, mm -hmm. you're right. That's an example where, and this really isn't, and I don't even think this would fall or even given apparent contradiction to what Paul is saying here, because Paul is talking really more about scrupulous things, not really about mm -hmm. things that have to do with just our everyday lives that are related to, you know, those broader principles that you're saying. Um, so that's a really good distinction to bring out. And I actually hadn't really considered that as much before, but I think that's helpful. Lest anyone be confused that we're yeah. saying, well, I don't, if my parents tell me to do something that isn't in the scriptures, I don't have to obey them. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's not what we're saying. We, there are proper authorities that we have to follow. Now, I do think that there's even nuance in there because yeah. your parents or even the authorities could try to bind you in, a, in ways that the scripture says no to or even try to, you know, give a test of obedience to God based on their own rules. 
Yeah. And then something like that would be like, no, that would be a violation of Christian liberty because now it's now I'm coming a conflict with God being Lord of the conscience versus you being Lord of my conscience. So even then, as you dig deeper, there is nuance in mm -hmm. there. And it's not always, you know, there's no cookie cutter way to look at it, but it, you'd have to take it based on those principles that you find in scripture and apply them to your specific situation. But um, I guess the point is it's not as new it's not as monolithic or clear as um as it might appear to be but that's a good distinction to make yeah the scriptures are, are definitely our guide but they don't yep. exhaustively list out every single situation that you'll ever be in and right. when we get into the discussion of uh, romans 14 i might actually bring this out a little bit more but um paul doesn't necessarily resolve the the controversy going on mm -mm. There, but he does give a principle for how you should uh, how you should do this or how you should right. act in this this sort of situation because this is going to be a common theme throughout church history the bible is not exhaustive about every situation but it does give us guiding principles that we can use to understand how should i actually react in this situation is this a case where i need to submit to the authority or is this the case where actually what they're doing that they're telling me to do is actually wrong and I shouldn't I shouldn't be doing that? Yep. Yep. In in as it relates to Christian liberty, in scrupulous matters at least, we do see these general principles being given. And Paul is specifically dealing with the issue of food, as we'll see in, in Romans 14, but we can take the broader principle and apply it to any situation that will meet the criteria that he's saying here. Um, we would never limit it and say, well, okay, Paul's just talking about food, and then we move on with our lives, and I can do whatever I want with Christian liberty. Um, that would be that would be a mistake as well. So looking at Romans 14, we're going to look at the first uh, four verses here uh, at first. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will make he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So Paul has talked about these doubtful things and immediately jumps into the issue of food. Um, you know, there were those apparently who were eating meat, and then there were those who were vegetarians. Um, and so there was this conflict, it seems, in the Roman church about who, you know, what kind of food should you be eating, morally speaking, not just, you know, this one might be healthier, or I like this one, I like, you know, red meat versus tomatoes or something like that. It wasn't, it was more of a moral issue um, that they were struggling with at, in matters of conscience. So there were those, at least in 1 Corinthians 8, and you might be able to say here too, but there were those who had problems with eating meat that was offered to idols. This was a problem for, for certain Christians here. And it's interesting too, that even though Paul talks about this dispute over doubtful things, he will go on to say that these things are not inherently evil, right? Food is good. Food is something that we should enjoy. Food is something that we should be, uh, we should be, uh, you know, eating and thanking God for, but he still wants to to point out the differences in that these Christians should be loving one another and not judging one another based on what they eat. So if someone's eating vegetables, the one who eats meat should not sit around and be judging or imposing their views upon 
the weaker brother who thinks it's wrong to eat meat and vice versa. So there's this, you know, problem that was coming up over these uh, scrupulous matters. Um, so they weren't to push either one was not to push their view upon uh, the other. So in this could be, you know, the weaker brother cannot bind uh, someone's conscience is to not eat something or engage in a particular activity that isn't in or contrary to the word. And then the strong brother can't, you know, try to make the weaker brother engage in something that he's not comfortable with. Um, and that's kind of the the overarching principle that we see here in uh, in Romans 14. But we do know that Paul, like I said, he points out that food is good and he he's trying to, you know, educate. Here's the. Here's the standard, guys. The standard is this. Now, there are those who are going to believe this standard, and there are those who are going to fall under that and have scruples with it, and those are the weaker brothers. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in, in latter times, some would depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So here there were false teachers that were trying to forbid those from participating in things where God has left men free. Marriage, which is somewhat optional. We do know that singleness is something that is allowed, but also pursuing marriage is allowed uh food there were certain foods that were being forbidden they weren't just preferences it was a moral obligation of, on the part of these false teachers to forbid others from eating food so they're trying to bind others consciences where god has left them free and paul is saying it's food guys god made it it's good you should be able to enjoy it why are you you shouldn't bind yourself and you shouldn't make others be bound to uh to do things like this so we have to be very, very careful about that. Um, but there were those who did take exception to those things out of conscience. And Paul, even though he's saying, here's the standard, Paul is saying that the Christians, the stronger, should be you know, willing to bear with the scruples of the weak. They should be sensitive to that, and they should not be trying to make them jump into uh, these principles, at least yet. I think there is a sense where Christians are to, the stronger are to teach the weaker, and they are weaker, and Paul is not saying that's a good thing. It's not good that they're in that state, but we should be patient with them and love them uh, in that particular, you know, in the particular state that they're in. Um, something else that Paul points out in this chapter is that Christians are not to parade their uh, their freedom around to the weaker brother. Um, and I think the idea here is is that Paul is saying that we know that there are weaker brothers and they know who they are. I don't think this is, you know, we have to hide in a closet and you can't do anything uh, in regards to Christian liberty in public. I think that would be very stifling and you, you really couldn't do much at all. But I, I think what he's talking about here, and I think the context shows this, is that these stronger brothers know who the weaker brothers are and they're parading their freedom in front of them. And they have to, and he's warning them to not do that. Don't parade your freedom in front of the weaker brother. Keep it between yourself and God. You know, you know, blessed is he who is not condemned by what he eats, right? He enjoys it. Great. He's not parading it in front of the weaker brother. But if the weaker brother engages in something that he believes is wrong, now he's in sin. 
So we have to be careful not to try to, you know, entice them or get them to do that particular thing. Um, so there's this balancing act that has to go on. The weaker brother is not to try to bind the conscience of the of the strong, and the strong is not to try and entice the weak. They're to bear with one another and love one another and in these things. While the weaker brother is still supposed to be maturing in the faith, we know the scriptures talk about this. You're to go from milk to meat, right? And it's not something you're supposed to stay in and be stagnant in. But while that Christian is growing, stronger Christians are to love those weaker brethren and help them to grow um, without flaunting their liberty or trying to get them to violate their conscience. So again, these are general principles that are given here, and it's a balancing act that has to be done, but uh, and it, it might be harder in different situations to see what that looks like, but those principles remain, and that's, I think, what Paul is talking about here. Yeah, and it, it might be hard for the weaker brother to to do that when they think it's sin. For example, I, I do think the background of Romans 14 is the discussion of can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And yeah, clearly, I think that's you, probably right. Clearly, you have a camp there that's saying we're not going to eat any meat whatsoever, just in case it was sacrificed to idols, whether they know or not. And that's why it says that they eat only vegetables. Right. Um. So, in that regard, it might be very difficult for the the weaker brother to to say, "Well, why? Like, this is clearly wrong because he thinks it's wrong. He thinks it's sinful." Like even if they're not flaunting it in front of me, surely I should, surely I should force them not to do this, you know, because mm -hmm. it's, it's sinful. And at least in, in this instance, what we're dealing with here is an application of the moral law. We're dealing with the application of, of the, the commandment against idolatry, right? Because they're, they're concerned that by eating meat that has been sacrificed to an idol, somehow you're participating in that idolatry, mm -hmm. um, which the scriptures, um, don't make that connection necessarily. We're, we're dealing with an application of the moral law. So in instances where we're dealing not with a direct commandment, like if somebody were to say, were to start bowing down to idols, well, that's not an in, uh, instance of Christian liberty. I'm going to tell them they're in sin. Um, yep. But when we're dealing with like second, third, fourth order applications of the moral law, um, it might, you, it, it's, it's okay sometimes to be like, well, I don't think that's right, but I'm not going to necessarily bind that person's conscience, depending on how far away you are from the actual commandment of the moral law. Um, and I do, as I was alluding to earlier, I do find it very interesting that um, Paul doesn't resolve the conflict in a sense, right? Because he has his answer in, in 1 Corinthians that it's, it's, it's fine to eat meat sacrificed to idols when you, you don't know that it's been sacrificed to an idol because an idol is nothing. It's not like it has any substance. You're not participating in it by eating something that somebody sacrificed to an idol. Um, the, the, the background of this is that a, a lot of times when meat was sold in the meat market, it had been previously been sacrificed to an idol. But when you're taking a cut of meat, you don't necessarily know that because not all of it was. Um, so there's this open question of like, well, it might have been. Um, so right. Paul just has in his, case. <laughs> yeah, Paul has his answer. It's like, well, if you eat uh, with Thanksgiving, because an idol is nothing in that regard. Um, but he doesn't then go and turn and force the the weaker brothers. Like, okay, well, this is this is the way it is. So now you need to obey uh, obey that. He does treat their consciences tenderly, saying like, okay, 
this is you know, this is something that you 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 think is incorrect so we're not going to parade it in front of you and cause you to stumble or sin because if you think that it's wrong and i as the stronger brother is like no it's fine have some and in that moment you partake even though you haven't been convinced in your mind that it's correct to do so you have committed sin and that's wrong and we don't want our, our brothers to stumble um so so he's treating their conscience tenderly. And I do really think that this is an example for the church age. Paul could have resolved the issue and said, this is the way it's going to be. Weaker brothers, you need to get over it. But he doesn't because, okay, so this particular issue doesn't exist for us today, at least not in America. Maybe it does exist still in other parts of the world, but it doesn't exist for the entirety of the church throughout its, uh, throughout its uh, uh, existence. Um, but... He doesn't, he doesn't, it's not resolved because I think it's, it's pointing us forward to, you're going to be in situations like this where there is going to be a weaker and a stronger brother and one is right and one is wrong. But because this is what we're dealing with here is, is, um, you're, there is no direct commandment. We're dealing with a third or fourth order, like application of the, the moral law. There's, there's more room for, for liberty and neither side is to bind the conscience of the other. They're to try and persuade the other that one or the other is correct. Um, and that's good. We should be trying to do that so that we would come to the knowledge of the truth. But it's not necessarily that I need to bind my conscience when there is no direct commandment from God on this. Yeah, it is an application. And you could even see um, the application of the second table of the law to love your neighbors yourself, too. Mm -hmm. Um you know, especially your Christian neighbor. So you're not to try and get them to do this thing that they believe is wrong. They were to be helped along. And and if you look in the next chapter, Romans 15, 1, we then are, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, for as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell upon me or fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So we even in the midst of these principles that Paul gives, you're right, he doesn't resolve it. And we're to bear with those brothers or to love them. We're not to, you know, throw them to the wayside just because they disagree with us or because they have something that clearly is on the weaker side. And we should help them to grow in these things. And hopefully they'll come to this knowledge of of uh, the truth and become a stronger brother as they grow in the faith. Um, but as they're doing that, they are to be, you know, they're to be bared up with, they're to be patient with, or they're not to be uh, thrown to the wayside as less than anything but a Christian brother or sister, or to love them and, and be patient with them. All righty. So, Jumping forward a little bit here, um, so what does this, you know, we talked about kind of the relationship between the strong and weaker brother, and a little bit about the concept of Christian liberty, but what does this mean, practically speaking, for those who are strong, um, and what is the general principle of Christian liberty? So it does mean we can participate in things that are not contrary to God's word nor found in it. And if scripture is silent, or by good and necessary consequence, we do not find it in scripture, we can participate in it. Um, and that's the general principle. Now, again, there's going to be that difference of conscience. If your conscience doesn't allow you to do something, then you shouldn't do it. Um, but this is the general principle that should help inform our consciences 
right? If it, this should help us to be at rest uh, in as much as we know that this is the principle found uh, in Scripture. Um, now, in as it relates to our confession, I think a big part of what liberty of conscience was referring to was relating to state enforcement of religious worship upon uh, those local churches, that the state does not have the ability to bind those churches to worship in a certain way. That's to betray liberty of conscience because God alone is Lord of the conscience and he gets to say how he is worshiped, not the state. Um, so there's there's all of those elements being played in here too. But we are to uh, feel free to engage in those things where God has left us uh, free in as much as it doesn't violate our own conviction or our own belief about what uh, about the morality of a particular thing. And then those weaker brethren should not try to bind the conscience of the strong and then the strong are not to try and entice the weak. You have to be very, very careful about those things. A good summary of this, um, Sean and I were kind of discussing, there's a sermon um, that, or a message or lecture or whatever you want to call it that Dr. R.C. Sproul did called The Tyranny of the Weaker Brother. You can find it on YouTube, which is really helpful in kind of defining these categories and and talking about these uh, these different concepts. Um, but I, I think that kind of, you know, covers Romans chapter 14. And again, you can find this in 1 Corinthians 8 too. Um, just he takes a little Paul takes a little bit of a different approach, but it's essentially the same principle that, uh, you know, he, he even goes as far as to say in the very last verse or first um, Corinthians eight twenty two, I believe it is that if meat causes his brother to stumble, that he'll never eat meat again. Right. He's he's willing to go to great lengths to not cause his brother to stumble and to love uh, his brother um, so I, I think that's a good testament to us that we're to be very patient and bear long with our brethren and, and go out of our way, so to speak, to make sure that we are um, not causing our brother to stumble. Um, so I, I think that's the general principles that we have. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just end here with a quotation of First uh, Corinthians seven twenty three: "Ye were or ye are bought with a price; be not ye the servants of men." Now he doesn't mean like don't be literal servants because he's just talking. Uh, he's just talked about how uh, uh, slaves are uh, supposed to be free in the Lord and free men are supposed to act as slaves. He's not saying that like oh well you should never be a, a slave of someone. What he's saying is don't become the slave of men, the servant of men, in the sense of having your conscience be bound uh, by what they say, right? God ultimately is the Lord of the conscience. There might be a little bit of a, of a delegation of authority in, uh, in certain cases, like parents, like you're to honor your parents. And even if a rule is not specifically commanded in scripture, um, you, uh, you're still to obey them, assuming it is not contradictory to, to something in scripture. Um, but we're to, we're to, God is the source of all this and that we're to obey him in what he says and we should be careful not to submit ourselves to things that sound good and might even sound like they come from the word of God, but ultimately don't. Yes, that's exactly right. So hopefully this has been a helpful discussion on Christian liberty. Again, a, a controversial topic and one that uh, some people have very strong opinions on. Um, but we hope that this has kind of provided that balanced view based on what the scriptures have said um, and can help you navigate these 
issues of Christian liberty. But we thank you for joining us today, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be back next week, and everybody have a great Lord's Day tomorrow. Take care.